0: Howdy, Ags. Welcome to Aggie Growth Hacks, the podcast sponsored by the McFair Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M that is dedicated to highlighting fast-growing Aggie entrepreneurs learning how they overcame growth challenges with creative hacks and connecting them with other entrepreneurs in the Aggie network. I'm your host, Greg Martin, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 2001. And I'm your co-host, Chris Hunter, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 98. We got a little story for you, Ags. Jeff Sampson, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 1993, is a multiple Aggie 100 nominee with multiple companies. Ags, this is a man that just flat out knows how to grow a business. The main business that he's focused on right now is Elevate Brand Marketing, and it provides Fortune 100 brands with promotional products that have been part of some of the, the most iconic product launches. So pass it back and listen up to Jeff as he shares some good bull. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, we we always like to jump right into it, and we always love to share what it is about Texas A&M, what it is about college station that, that binds us together. So Jeff, could you share with us your favorite Aggie memory?
1: I think it was my senior year, but we, we actually drove down to, to Houston, and, uh, and and we were playing Rice, and uh, there was a, kind of a scuffle in the middle of uh, our halftime performance, and some of the, the Rice mob... Uh, got out on the field, which you know we all know how that's uh, that's not tolerated. How'd that work? And well, our retaliation was to have Yale practice in the middle of the, the Rice Mob performance, which was probably one of the classiest and most outstanding responses I'd ever seen to something like that. So, I, I thought I thought that was a, p- a pretty cool way for us to go about, uh, you know, kind of kind of using the fact that we had fifty thousand people in their stadium and they had eight thousand people, and it just made it it made it work. So uh, I, I I think about that that a lot, you know, when I think about my time there.
2: Nice. I love that. Good. That's cool. so awesome. All right.
1: So why don't you
2: tell us a little bit about Elevate Brand Marketing and you know what, what, what you're doing with that and uh, a little bit more about how you even got into that.
1: Elevate Brand Marketing operates primarily in the marketing services space. Uh, we focus on brand merchandise and, and pretty much anything you can use from a merchandise standpoint to run your business. Uh, we're focused on Fortune 100 companies, uh, a lot of sports teams. We get involved in a lot of game day giveaways and and uh, other items that that any company would use to promote their business. Um, from from that business, we spun off a couple of other uh, businesses. One of them, the, the sourcing solution, which is a contract manufacturing business that's based in Dallas but uh, but headquartered out of uh, out of Shenzhen, China. Uh, that business really kind of came out of the need for us to to get into very specific uh, products that our, our customers needed. And so we went to Asia to really learn how to, to get in the contract manufacturing business. And we've had that division there for about eight years. And another business that developed out of that was a, a 3PL business, Distribution and Fulfillment. Uh, we've recently gotten into a lot of kidding with uh, COVID last year. Kind of we had to pivot and figure out ways to, to connect, help our customers connect better with their employees and 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 their customers into the, the kidding side of that business. And so we've got an a 80,000 square foot Distribution and Fulfillment Center in Dallas that goes along wow. with that And that, that business really all of those really uh, started my first job out of college was at Neiman Marcus and I was uh, in the corporate sales division was recruited from a promotional products company after that and, and ultimately just ended up going into business for myself.
0: That's super cool. So, so Jeff I got, I've got to ask what's may, I don't maybe you can't narrow it down to one thing but what's maybe the top five coolest products that you've produced and, and be able to say, man that's a really good that's a really good marketing tool.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we've done an awful lot of stuff. I, I think one of the things that really stands out is a great project. We had an opportunity to work for uh, work with Anheuser-Busch, one of the World Cup. Which went, it's actually when the World Cup was in the U.S. And mm-hmm. we actually created a Rubicella that, that doubled as, a, uh, as basically a yard glass. So um we went down and actually manufactured it in Mexico it was uh, it was on a pretty compressed time frame it was it was coming in over Chinese New Year so we weren't going to be able to get it down in Asia with one of our factories and uh, found a drinkware manufacturer in mexico and went down there and produced that so that was really cool it was it's, it, you know it's it's always fun for us to do things that end up in the public's hands um we do a lot of game day giveaways for the dallas cowboys and uh the, the dallas mavericks are a partner we do a lot of stuff for them it's it's really cool to go to a game uh and and see products that we've created or products that we've manufactured on uh on behalf of a team and th- that being given away and you know it was you know it, especially when it's your hometown team that that uh that you're helping p- promote their business. That's, that's really pretty cool. awesome. Yeah. So, not counting this past year because
2: we we, we know how COVID has has really affected the entire world. But what historically has been your biggest challenge to growth, and and how have you hacked it?
1: Man, I think that's uh, a that, that's always ongoing. You know, I, I think that the thing that we're it, you know that we're really struggling with right now, and it's scale. It's it's how do we scale the businesses and, and you know, we we've kind of we've developed a plan to double the size of our collective business from a top line sales standpoint in the next two years and then hopefully double again three years after that. And and the key to the key to it for that for that to happen is for us to create scale on the infrastructure and operation side of the business so that we can effectively pour gasoline on the fire, go out there and get sales, um, generate revenue and not have it bring us to our knees because we don't have the ability to support it. And and I think, you know, what's what's been really interesting for me, at least in, in kind of leading that effort in the company it's really caused me to completely and totally change the way that I look at at the business. When we started the business, I had no idea that we were going to grow to the size or that we were going to have three companies and have an office in in China and and an office in Hong Kong and an office in the Philippines and and an 80,000 square foot distribution center and all this stuff has kind of grown out of need where we've had customers that have asked us to do things and we have responded by basically developing expertise in a a particular uh, discipline and, and built it ended up building businesses around it. but I think as we start to get to that next level that i've I've been forced into looking at what's what's the plan to do that as opposed to just head down and manage the business. It's getting outside mm. of working in the business and getting in the weeds. I've recently hired a number of people to come in and help me do that so that I could that I can take a you know eight hundred foot approach to looking at the business and strategically positioning the business so that when we do get to those numbers that we need to get to that we're positioned. They either have private money and, and injected into the business, or have a PE firm seriously look at us, or have a strategic partner come in and go, "You guys have got some things that, that we don't have, so let's, let's, you know, let's bolt these businesses on."
0: Okay, Jeff. So so I'm I'm tracking all that and I hear you you said a lot of things as far as, you know, making sure that you're building out your team, uh, your leadership team, making sure that you've got operations, you've got systems in place, but I also heard you talk about that you actually had to pivot and change because of COVID because of last year. So so my question is how did you both how did you manage both the challenges of COVID, but then also make those strategic changes last year when we were struggling with COVID.
1: We were really fortunate, I, you know. I'll say, I'll say that we were fortunate enough not to ever have to lay anybody off through all of this. Um, we were fortunate in that. Wow. Thank you. I, I, I really, when, when this all happened, I sat down with our my, my business partners and I said, if we can get out of this thing without having to let anybody go um, and be basically zero. Net zero from from an employee standpoint, but even you know not lost any any ground in the market. I consider that a win, and and I, mm-hmm. I think we're I think we will we will have accomplished that when we look back on this. Again, I, I say that we were fortunate. One of the things that that we were allowed to do is is really continue to operate our businesses. We weren't we weren't in hospitality. We weren't in you know we weren't a restaurant. We we had an essential business in, in our fulfillment operation. All of our employees pivoted really well to working from their homes in the brand merchandise business. Our um, employees in China and in the Philippines were able to either work from home, or the the, the businesses were opened back up relatively quickly. And we were to manage; we were able to manage from afar. It was really difficult not being able to go over there and see our employees and physically, you know, be in the in the offices when we, when we have been on on a pretty regular basis up until last year. Uh, we were also fortunate enough having people on the ground in China that when we were asked by our customers specifically to get into the PPE business to produce masks and gowns Mm -hmm. and nitrile gloves and and other things that were essential to businesses opening back up. One of our restaurant customers... We had to very, very, very quickly. We had to get a, a half a million masks in so that they could have that they they could have their workers protected, so they were allowed to go back to work. Um, and and so because we had people in the right places, we were able to help our customers do that. And you know, I, I say this all the time. I wish I could take credit for having this master plan and being ready to to you know to grow these businesses and do the things. The same thing with with us being able to put to pivot into PPE. That's the last business I wanted to be in but we were fortunate right. in the fact that we had the people in the right place and we had the wherewithal and the knowledge and how to manufacture products and how to make sure that they were that they were tested correctly and that they were being packaged correctly and they were labeled correctly and that they you know that we were able to get them get them out of China on an airplane into the hands of our customers and then be able to kind of complete the supply chain with our distribution and fulfillment business
0: wow so something that you didn't even think of as as an a competitive advantage really played out to be one last year
1: absolutely
2: so obviously it sounds like you very much have a solid grasp of your business as well as you know your industry. So, what do you see coming around the bend on on your industry? What are some of the future trends that are happening, and how can you take advantage
1: of those? Yeah, so this goes back a little bit to what you, the, what you guys asked you know in the previous question there, and that is that I firmly believe that in not only in our industry but also in the economy that we are going to see a Massive pickup in the next two to three years that we're going to have an opportunity to just go gangbusters in our business as it relates to marketing materials and marketing services and and being able to provide experience experiences for our our clients and help them use merchandise to enhance those experiences and engage uh, with with their customers and their employees. I think that we're going to have more of that opportunity than we even know what to do with. And you know, one of the things that we did during COVID is rather than pull back, we pushed forward. We, we made some investments in technology. We made an investment in our people. We hired some additional people. We've looked at what other resources that we need to have in place so that when those opportunities come, maybe some of our competitors aren't going to be ready for that because they spent their last year hunkering down and we're going to pick up business, and, and and we potentially also are going to be in a situation where we can go buy a business. So we can have a small, you know, a couple of small businesses in our space that maybe they've got a really good book of business and they've got a great sales team, but operationally they're not really sound. And we've got all, we've got that operation in place to be able to support some salespeople that can, that can come on and, and pick up uh, that we could pick up and, and pick up a, bu- a book of business that maybe we don't have the opportunity to get
0: to today. It's all about looking at your business from that strategic level and saying, how can I build the operations and the systems to be able to have it? And then just put the right people in, pour gas on it and execute. You got it. That's so, exactly right. So with, with that being said, Jeff, what is Elevate Brand Marketing's BHAG? You where do you want to be in 10 years? Is it is it just top line sales or is there something else that y'all as a team are looking at and saying there's our goal?
1: We're certainly looking at it from a top line sales perspective as far as the, the metric. We're in the people business. I mean, if if the people that we've got that are part of our organization aren't happy if they're not productive and they're not performing, then none of it is really gonna matter. So, you know, we are we are doubling down right now i'm making sure that we are that we are developing our people and we're developing the culture of our business and we believe that that's a critical component to get there and the metric being the fact that you know we we are we're roughly in the uh the 14 million in top sales right now and and we believe we've got to get to 25 million in order for um us to have access to private money and we and we believe mm-hmm. that building the machine to get there will allow us to then Kind of take a second step where we've got access to having some money come in to to really pour that gasoline on the fire, take that 25 million and get it to 100 million. Um, I think our ownership team, uh, on the most part. We really don't want to be out of the business, so it's it's not a a scenario of an exit, an immediate exit um, in in the first two years. It's a matter of of staying in the business, getting some help, and getting some money injected into the business to really take us to that point where we get to a hundred million, and then we can sit there and look. You know, five six years from now, we'll get to that that number uh, and decide what we want to do as individuals, but but know that we that we've basically succeeded um, in the stated goal of getting to that hundred million dollar mark.
2: Wow. That's amazing. Honestly. That's a huge, huge BHAG, big hairy, audacious goal to to get to.
0: As you were kind of telling your story and telling about what you do, so how, how do you integrate with the marketing and the branding division? Or individuals for like a Budweiser or the Mavericks or whatever. I mean, it it has got to be more than just you know, hey, they say, hey, here we want this product and you source it. They're, but branding is so ingrained. You, you guys need to understand what their brand is trying to achieve and stuff. So how, how do you mesh that?
1: Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's a great question. So there, there's there's obviously different levels of of involvement in the brand teams within these companies. There, there are occasional times, which I prefer not be in this situation, but at the end of the day, there's times when the client knows exactly what they want and, and, and we really are just serving a procurement function. At, okay. at, that, at that point, we're not really any more competitive than anybody else is unless it's something that's unique or they're asking us to make something that's proprietary, in which case it then becomes a manufacturing project instead of just a production and printing project. We always really, really try to get at the core try to get into the strategy of what our client is trying to accomplish. So if it's Anheuser-Busch, I want to know what their new product launches look like. I want to understand what the strategy is for the upcoming year, what their focus is going to be on. This year's focus was on Seltzer. So I want to know that. We want to we be involved at the level where they're talking to us about what their goals are and trying to... you know it, So that we can then try to give them solutions, not just product. As soon as we start talking about solutions, now we're consulting. Now we're involved in a conversation. We're a resource. We're not just a vendor. So it's not always easy. I mean, you, you've got some clients that that aren't. Frankly, some clients don't know. I mean, which is which is really scary. If you're dealing with a Fortune 100 co- client. Yeah, I was gonna say your clients big, are
0: really big, so they better
1: know. You know. I'm telling you, sometimes these big brands, you know, it, it amaze. It's always amazed me when I get a phone call from you know from Samsung and they go, "Hey, we need a hundred thousand of something in two weeks for a new product launch," and I'm like. You mean a new cell phone that you've been developing for two years? You just realized that you needed to send these out to 100,000 people? Like, what, what in the world are you doing? It is crazy how many of these big brands still get caught in that trap of not being prepared to go to market with new products. But the, more, the answer to your question is, the more involved we can get into their heads, that get them to start to trust us, to, to think of us as an extension of their marketing department, the better off we are.
2: Now we're going to head into our lightning round, but before we do, we want to uh, take a pause here for a second to listen to our sponsor. All right, welcome back, Eggs, and we're going to roll right into the uh, lightning round. Right, so the lightning round—the rules are simple: you have one minute or less to uh, answer the questions, and we're just going to try to go through these as quickly as we can. All right, so
1: what is your favorite hack, Jeff? Back working in the grocery business, growing up, I was uh, my very first job was in a grocery store, and I spent an awful lot of time. I even even. Uh, Continue to work for uh, the Randall's uh, food chain whenever I I, I was at A and M in school, but I had a, a boss that he he called it management by walking around, and in it, it, it's just basically the idea of getting out from behind your desk and getting out. Whether it's in, in our world, it's into the distribution center and seeing what's going on, or it's walking into somebody's cubicle and 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 asking what they're working on and trying to be involved in the business. And I think as an owner and an entrepreneur, uh, staying in touch with our with our uh, our team and our employees,
2: but also with with customers is, is just super important for me. So while we're talking about hacks and all that kind of stuff and we still have you on what what's your favorite traveling hack?
1: Oh man, I'm, I'm probably a horrible one. I probably drink way too much when I'm traveling, so you know That's not what you're supposed to do, especially if you're trying to recover. you, you know part, part of it, I think I get kind of in routines. I mean, I travel an awful lot. I'm normally, you know, putting more than a hundred thousand miles um, in the air a year. But, and it, for me, it's it's trying to find the routine so that I don't, you know, if I am jet lagged or I'm, you know, I'm I'm really tired or worn out or whatever, that I, I I don't leave something behind or I, you know, that I've got my that I've got my directions and I've got the, you know, the in Asia, especially printing out the directions in in Chinese to the hotel or having that's easier today than it was when I started traveling over there because you can pretty much get a cell signal anywhere and your phone's got Google Translate on it. And, you, you know, you can show the, the, the taxi driver a picture of the, of the hotel used to though before we had that. I mean, when Russ and I first started in Asia, we didn't have cell phones, not, not when we were there, our cell phones wouldn't work. So, you know, we, we actually got separated one time and, uh, that, that caused us to actually go through a routine of what we were gonna do if that ever happened again and like how we would what how we would go how we would ultimately find each other. Because we never it never occurred to us because we're so used to just being able to get on our cell phone here, right? But I think for me it's just it's just trying to be organized and, and just kinda having my together because you get travel and you lose an awful lot of productive time if you
0: don't. No, that, that's really good. I mean, it's so, even though you've been doing it for a while, it still has to be a little bit disorienting and, you know, just kind of getting back into a different culture and realizing that the way we do things here is not the way they do things over there.
1: Oh, it, it's, I'll tell you, it's bigger than that. Part of it is, is understanding, you got to remind yourself that you're in their country and there's certain cultural things and there's certain behaviors that aren't going to be accepted that, you know, you you've got you've got to be especially in China. You're still in a communist country, and mm-hmm. on the most part, I've never really been worried. But you still have got to realize that every single thing that you do is on camera in that country. They know where they know where we are every time that we take a step. And so, you know, you got to be aware of that. I mean, it, whether I, I see I see people over there, Westerners acting like idiots, and, I, and I'm like, you know, I'm just always thinking to myself, just. Be careful about where you are and what you say and when you do it. That's right. It, you are a guest is, here. It, it, <laughs> right. That's right. And you can get comfortable and forget that sometimes. And it, it's, I mean, I, I've, I've seen people do some really stupid things.
0: Well, Jeff, what's one book, podcast, YouTube channel, something that, that you get a lot of value out of that our listeners need to be aware of?
1: Carl Sewell's book, Customer for Life. It's an easy read, but it just, there's so many, there's so many lessons in there about customer service and about how important it is to maintain those relationships with your customers. Acquisition costs for us in our business is really, really expensive. Um, and so having to lose lose a customer and having to reacquire a customer is really tough. Um, but that, I think there's a lot of a lot of great little nuggets in that book. Love it. Love it. So we
2: all know how valuable that the Aggie Network is. Is there anybody in the Aggie Network that you'd like to say thank you to?
1: There's not a particular person. There's a, a bunch of people that that I went to school with that I that I've stayed close to and and I, and I think it kind of sounds cliche but just that whole just the entire Aggie network I mean the, the idea that you can be anywhere in the country I can't tell you how many how many Aggies I've run into when I'm traveling in China and immediately you've got a friend you know you got somebody to talk to you've got somebody to share a story with it just there's there's something about it that is really hard to describe if you if you're not living it and you know there's there's a lot of people that I meet that. Don't really understand it until you feel it. I, I took uh, one of my business partners to muster with me uh, in Taiwan uh, a couple of years ago, Ooh, wow. and it, it was really cool to see his eyes light up and see how cool that experience was for him. From somebody that had never really couldn't get his get his head around what this was all about.
0: Wow, that that's a. Pretty powerful introduction to the Aggie Network and, and just our way of life. That's pretty cool. So Jeff, what is what is one thing that um, the Aggie Network can help you with? And how do we get in touch with you?
1: The easiest way to get in touch with me is uh, is is drop me an email at jeff.sampson@weelevate.com you know, I I would I wouldn't be a very good salesperson if I didn't say, uh, you know, if there's anybody out there that needs help with their their merchandise programs to uh, to look us up. But uh, you know, I, by the same token, I'm happy to I'm happy to help with uh, anybody out there who's looking to you know kind of dip their their toe in the water of being an entrepreneur. If I can if I can help them out in any way in terms of uh, any advice, I'm 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 happy to to give back.
0: Well, Jeff, that's exactly what this podcast is all about. It's about connecting Aggies and us learning from you and uh, in the challenges that you have overcome. Thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you for being so transparent and sharing your wisdom and ags. If y'all have got any promotional needs, make sure you check out Jeff and, and his company. Um, can you give us the website one more time, Jeff? Website is weelevate.com. So W-E-E-L-E-V-A-T-E.com. There you go, Ags. So make sure you check him out. And Jeff, again, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
2: How about that, Ags? That was what you call some good bull. There were some valuable hacks that Jeff shared with us. What's your favorite, Greg?
0: I think, Chris, the the thing that really struck out to me was the book that he talked about, uh, Customer for Life. And I think that it is so important for entrepreneurs to to understand the value that they bring to the customer. Uh, he talked about how within his business, customer acquisition cost is actually really, really high. So you do not want to lose those customers. And even for, for entrepreneurs who have businesses that don't have high customer acquisition costs, to be able to continue to wow and serve and retain your customers is super, super important and super critical.
2: What about you? Well, I... Obviously, again, I, I agree with you 100 percent on yours. Mine's got to be uh, uh, how to scale, right He talked a lot about how how do you, mm-hmm. how do you scale a business. He right? talked
0: about that a lot, yeah
2: obviously with, with <laughs> well because he's done it, right? <laughs> I mean he he talked about how how right now they're at 14 million that they're working to get to 25 million, and then after that 100 million. So how do you do that? And he said it real easily, people. Right? You got to have the right people in the right places, and he said that yep. time and time and time again in the interview. And you know, one thing that I'm going to add on to that is not only people, but you've got to have systems in place for those mm-hmm. people, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's mine, getting the right people in the right seats.
0: Yeah. I loved how he, he emphasized that it was the culture also. I mean, it, it yeah. continues to amaze me. Everyone that we talk to, yeah. it's not about building a bigger factory or having the coolest machines or, or sourcing the, the inventory. It's about building the people and the culture. And that is what is going to take you to growth and achieve your goals. Right.
2: And in fact, he said that's what brought him to, through the, the initial lockdown of COVID, right? Is, mm-hmm. is that he had the right people, they pivoted and the people, he didn't come up with the idea, but, but the ideas were come up by, by the folks that he had in place, you know, in order to get the right PPE to the market. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's pretty awesome.
0: Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Aggie Growth Hacks. Chris and I hope that you enjoyed it and that you'll leave us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you found us. We hope that you check out our website at aggiegrowthhacks.com, where you can hear all of our previous episodes, connect with Chris and I, and make sure that you check out our monthly hack shops, where we tackle some of the biggest challenges that entrepreneurs have. We talk to an expert and have a deep dive with actionable
2: advice. Aggie Growth Hacks was produced by fellow Aggies, Kyle Ackerman and Ben Wiggins with Podcast Architects. We also want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M University. Since 1999, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship has served as the hub of entrepreneurship for Texas A&M. If you're an Aggie entrepreneur or even a wantrepreneur, head over to their website to find a program that's right for you. Join us next time when we connect with another great entrepreneur and learn how they hack their growth. Until then, I'm Chris Hunter.
0: And I'm Greg Martin. Thanks and gig them.